you know, Morgan, we got Brian on the line. What do you want to ask him? In terms of the market right now and the economy, uh, what are some of those adjustments or, you know, things that you're going about to change the way that you're looking at the properties that you're going after now? I think it's really important to dial in on your underwriting and your underwriting assumption. We can see how property is performing right now, but you know the, the real outlook is, is, is how we expect it to per- continue to perform and how we expect it to perform through the life of our whole This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. And this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe, and I'm very excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two great people on the line with us today. We got Brian Wagers as our experienced investor and Morgan Jones as our aspiring investors. Welcome both of you to the show today. Thank you. Happy to be here. As is tradition, we're going to spotlight uh, our experienced investor first. You know, Brian, let's, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. So first of all, how are you doing today? Doing great. Appreciate the opportunity to be on here and with you and Morgan. Absolutely. No problems. Do us a favor and tell us a little bit about yourself, You know where you've uh, come from essentially and how you got into apartment investing as a career. I got started in real estate investing about six years ago. Typical single family investment. Mm-hmm. I had that rented out. Everything was going fine. As I had it rented out, I realized it was going to be way too slow to get where I wanted to go. So I quickly pivoted to multifamily. I got a 12 unit quickly after that first one and really scaled my way up to a portfolio of about 500 units where just joint venturing, you know, not uh, the syndication. Syndication was always in the back of my mind, yep. which I'm actively doing now. And then about two, a year and a half ago is when I really dialed in on the syndication and, and joint ventured with another firm, uh, commercial real estate investment group, you know, now just syndicating deals focused on the capital raising side, whereas before I was, I was focusing every side. And now I've been involved in over 2000 doors, you know, mm-hmm. on the syndication side as a, as a general partner. So deals, I'm based here in Northwest Arkansas, but done deals in Dallas, Houston, uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're doing one and we're under contract and uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, San Antonio, and uh, another one coming up in Houston. Nice, nice. A lot of a lot of good metros there. So, what what I like to do is is talk about the transition points. I mean, I think everybody gets into single family, or most people who are either on the show as guests, or I think a lot of people who are listening. You know, single family is an easy jump. It's an easy way to get into. But let's talk about that transition from single family to that first 12 plex. First of all, you you mentioned that scaling was an issue for you. That's that's why you went from a single family to a 12 plex. But what else was going through your mind at the time? And what, what were some of the biggest challenges you had making the jump from you know single family to 12? Yeah, I, th- I think you hit it right there. I mean, the, the scalability was a big thing, you know. It wasn't any sort of uh, property management horror story. There was no 3 a.m. phone calls or anything like that. The the, te- the resident was actually 
very timely with his payments and everything, but it was just, you know, doing the backwards math of, you know, reverse engineering where I wanted to go. And it, it was just going to take, you know, what was I able to get? I was going to maybe do one rental property a year and, you know, all the funds usually yeah. had to come from myself, you know, that I was in the, in the single family space. So I knew in syndication, I could start raising capital outside of my own funds and get more mm-hmm. people involved. So that was one token of it. Um, and just the avail- uh, ability to eventually hire out property management company. Didn't have any problems at the time, but, you know, that's not something I, I saw myself growing up leases for hundreds of people, you know, yeah. in the future. And, and, and I knew that the apartment space, these apartments paid for itself to have that professional property management. So that was uh, in the back of my mind as well. Yeah. You know, that, that's one thing that's nice about when you get into larger apartments is when you, when you're looking at the underwriting, when you're looking at the analysis, the cash flow has the management fee built in already. And it's like, you know, it, it's assumed that you're going to have the management there. And so all the pricing is based off of having management, you know, so that's, that's one thing that I've, I've always appreciated about multifamily myself, but just, just a couple of commonalities there. You know, I, I started with single family as well. And I remember spreadsheeting it, you know, myself and looking at how fat, how long is it going to take me to get from where I'm at to, you know, where I want to go. And I, I hit the same hurdle you did. It was essentially, um, I figured let's, I figured that if I really hustled, I could buy two a year, but it was still going to take me like 25 to 30 years to be financially free, you know, in air quotes. But uh, so that's same same reason I, I turned this direction. Now, something else you mentioned in, in your introduction is, is you did the first several using, you know, joint ventures, and then you, it took you a little longer to get into the syndication model. Let's talk about that transition as well. You know, why, why did you do joint ventures at first and why did you end up transitioning to syndications there? Yeah, so I, I knew I wanted to do multifamily, and I I started to go. I think for me, I was I just started. Ha- you know, after that first twelve unit, I was really I really had good success in the small, medium sized apartment complex. I, I didn't I didn't feel the need to really have to go larger, and I I don't think maybe I was comfortable with the model of you know the larger units at the time. For me, it was just the access to deals that I had. I was getting deals sent that were in this, you know, under hundred unit under the radar, probably of, of the larger firms at the time, you know, this was four or five years ago um, where, you know, there, there may have not as been uh, as many eyes on the smaller units. And I think I, maybe it was a level of comfort I felt with those, the smaller medium size. So that 12 unit, I just did a, a promissory note from a family friend, you know, where they, they gave me a hundred, $100,000 loan. I told them I'd pay them back $125,000. And that was it. You know, they're used to having, uh, you know, their money in the stock market. So I just kept kept it as simple as possible. And then once I started doing the joint ventures, you know, just, you know, now where now I'm doing these, these waterfalls and, you know, different, different models for yeah. syndications. At the time, I was just trying to keep it as simple as possible and really hone in on, my uh, advantage. And that was, I was local in my market and I was getting deals sent to me by commercial brokers that I had started to build relationships with. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. And I, I think everybody, I'm not going to say a blanket statement, you know, I'll make a blanket statement. So inherently it's going to be false, but you know, almost everybody goes in, I think with something similar where it's, it's hard. It was hard for me anyway to wrap my, my head around doing these hundred plus unit deals. You know, it was, it was hard for me to imagine a path going from one to a hundred 
without hitting the, the 12s and the 20s first. And that's, that's actually the route that I ended up going. And I, I would say in a similar vein that, you know, we, we stayed in the, uh, the double figure, you know, unit counts for a long time because part of it was that, that mental shift you've got to take to be able to actually tackle those deals and, and get up to that level. So, you know, that, that said, right now you say you're with, you're with Elevate. How did uh, that come, come about for you? Yeah, so I guess about a year and a half ago, I, I talk a little bit about, you know, what I was doing was working and I was getting deals sent to me, good deals. I had property management companies set up that I used for one market that I was in and then another property management company for a different market. So there was only really two markets that I was in that are neighboring in my backyard. And I mean, I, I was starting to get some of the same deals sent to me that I had already looked at years past. So I knew that there was an inventory problem. One, I'm in Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas. There's only so many doors here. So I started to come across some of the same deals. I was starting to get more priced out on deals. You know, I was mm-hmm. starting to get yeah. some of the deals that it was a lot less deals I would go through that I would actually look at. And, you know, so I knew going in, I had syndication in the back of my mind. And, and so right around that time, these things were happening. So I knew that, okay, I'm going to have to make a pivot to this syndication space if mm-hmm. I want to continue to grow. You know, these deals are not making as much sense. They're slowing down quite a bit. Yeah. I was going to have to probably look outside of my own market and, and try to figure out a way that I could bring value outside of my market where I'm not necessarily boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was something that I wanted to do. Maybe I could have chose maybe to underwrite deals or do some uh, other aspects or maybe a little bit of asset management oversight. But for me, I, I really liked the capital raising piece that I had started mm-hmm. to grow. You know, when I was growing these family and friends money, I, I started to like that. So I raised capital as a co- co-sponsor, you know, mm-hmm. co-GP with Elevate a couple of deals. I had reached out to George and we, we actually met in person at an event. And, you know, so I, raised for them for about two or three deals on just kind of one-off deals. And mm-hmm. I really liked the process, really liked the vertical integration of the in-house construction team. That was yep. really important to me going into these other markets. You know, I, I would want someone that could do, do di- yeah, I did due diligence on these smaller units, but, you know, we're talking about 400 unit apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. I, I would be pretty scared that I would oversee, you know, if I, someone might see a found, I could see a foundational issue if there's cracks in the walls or something like that. Sure. Yeah. I would know that, yeah. but I would want another, want another set of eyes to pick up stuff that I wouldn't see that could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, or even million dollar problems. Yeah. Finding someone that was experienced in that side of the, the business and really honing in on the capital raising side of the piece was, you know, a good, good fit for me and finding a growing company mm-hmm. that was somewhere in that need. So we, I raised on a couple of deals for them, three or four deals. And, you know, everything was really good. You know, mm-hmm. obviously some roadblocks throughout, but we, we were able to handle those and uh, the communication went well. So we just found a need with them. And, you know, we eventually partnered up just a couple of months ago. So where I, I'm only raising for their deals and mm-hmm. now I'm overseeing the, the equity stack on there with their portfolio. And even yes. now I'm working with other co-raisers like I was myself. So, you know, sometimes we'll bring in, you know, outside capital raisers for the larger deals. We might need some extra capital. So now I'm full circle. I'm working with some of the same people that you know, mm-hmm. that I was uh, considering myself as a co-sponsor. Nice. Nice. Interesting how that works. So 
Um, I mean, just just to sum things up, you know, with with uh, Elevate, at least you, you came in as a co-GP raising capital, did that several times, were invited to be part of the team. And now you're you're managing the uh, the capital side of of Elevate. So working with you know other co-GPs uh, as needed and, and raising capital for groups, your current deals, correct? Yeah, exactly. And I, I wasn't necessarily invited to take that. I, I pushed to me. I was like, hey, bring me out. Like I wanted to over deliver on all these different capital raises. And I, I was the one that was, hey, I think this is something that you guys can need. You know, you have your, your yeah. co, Eric and George are the, the leads. And, you know, that's something I thought that they could use help on if they wanted to continue to do these other deals. So mm-hmm. I, I made the push to for them to bring me on full time with just elevate, you know, strictly on elevate and be more aligned. And, you know, as I did that, then they also hired the uh, uh, asset manager and uh, acquisitions director too, for some of that underwriting nice. and doing nice, more nice. So becoming more vertically streamed, but yeah. All right. And I, I've, I've met most people at elevate. Uh, I saw George uh, at a conference a couple of weeks ago. Were you at dealmaker live too, by chance? Yeah. I think I, I think I saw you running around there. Uh, yeah. Somewhere. I don't know. I, yeah, I was only one of there those- for a day. I was only there for a day too, so I, I didn't uh, I didn't get uh, get to talk to as nearly as many people as I wanted to. And it's always the nature of, of those conferences is you walk away and you're like, man, I wish I would have would have talked to you know a whole list of people. I had a chance to shake George's hand, and that was it. You know, so. Um, okay. But uh, anyway, well, hey, great, uh, exciting story there. Glad you, you you got yourself into it, and I think that's that's a good recipe for success. You know, you come in you you know, under promise over deliver, you provide value and you know, convince people that they need you. And, you know, a company that's scaling like, like Elevate is or trying to scale, you know, they, that there's two things that they're looking for. They're looking for deals. They're looking for money. And if you can come in and provide one or the other, I mean, bam, you know, there, there's definitely a need for that. And you had, you built the relationship and were able to carve out a niche for yourself. So, so let's let's uh, shift focus a little bit. One thing I'd like to ask everybody on the show is, you know, about their their motivation for for success. And so, your question for you is, what is your why? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a bunch of different whys, you know, and I think there's whys uh, chain, but I think you know, being able to provide for my my fam, myself, my fam, my current family, and my future family. You know, I don't have any kids yet, but you know, I'm more recently married and I know that there be kids in my future and I want to be able to give them as many resources as they, they can have. And, you know, that I didn't necessarily have, you know, I had a lot of love and support, but I didn't necessarily have any financial resources. So that's something I want to be able to provide for my, my future family. I want to be able to be there for my family. You know, I don't want to have to worry about not being there. Um, so I think that's kind of the goal, you know, once, once they get to that active age, that that's a big why for me, you know, once, once my kids are, my future kids are six or seven, I want to be able to attend all their sports games or, you know, whatever they decide to be active in, you know, Mm -hmm. be there for them. And then eventually I'd like to give back to, you know, like some young entrepreneur foundations and, and give back to my high school a little bit too. Those are kind of, some wise for me. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And as a, as a guy that's had, uh, you know, five, six year olds now, I'll, I'll tell you the last year I've spent, uh, I spent a lot of time on basketball courts and parks yeah. and gymnasiums in general. So this definitely gives you the ability to do that. And I think a lot of people realize that, you know, I was 
I, I coach two basketball teams. I, I take my kids to gymnastics. You know, a lot of things that I wasn't able to do when I had a W two are now, you know, the norm for us, which is which is really really nice. So, yeah, it's I, I love your why. It's uh, very much in in line with why I'm doing what I'm doing too. So, so let, let's do a, a real quick. Uh, discussion of kind of one of the projects or, or deals that you've uh, been involved with, you know, pick your first or your favorite and uh, let's dive in a little bit. Yeah. So I guess uh, one of our more recent ones um, I could look at would be uh, our one in uh, Mesquite, Texas. We just uh, closed on that earlier this year. It was a 190 unit uh, in Mesquite, Texas. We were able to get that for uh, 17, just that 17 million. Mm-hmm. Um, now, where where is Mesquite, Texas? That's not one that I'm I'm familiar with. Just outside of Dallas, it's a Dallas MSA, so okay. it's north northeast of Dallas, so right on the path of progress. Dallas is pushing mm-hmm. you know, north, and it's pushing northeast, so it's yeah, it's right where all oh, Dallas can only contain so much. So we are looking at more and more of this, you know, Aubrey, Weatherford, uh, some of these markets right around side the, the Dallas mm-hmm. MSA. Okay. So you so got, you got the property at 17 million and sorry, go from there. Yeah. 17 million. It's, it's uh, kind of your classic value add deals, uh, C-class, C-class property right on the border of a C to B area. So, you know, love the opportunity to bring a C closer to the B and in a market like that where, where the, where the neighborhood supports it built in 1960 or 1959. So a little, a little on the more older side than what we usually yep. look at. Property was really well kept. Obviously we, we checked the foundation and did our due diligence there. So no issues about uh, $2.5 million capital expenditures. Um, so a lot of that mm-hmm. will be going to a little bit, uh, about 500 to 700,000 going to the exteriors, doing a little bit of rebranding there, mm-hmm. some new paint work. Um, adding in a playground at the facility. And then a lot of it's going to be go to the interiors, a lot of classic vintage mm-hmm. interiors so that we can really bring those up uh, to market. Interesting. Now with, with uh, late fifties vintage, I mean, we've, uh, I, I've, I've been part of GP on several um, that are newer and several that are older. Seems the plumbing, you know, is, is always the, the biggest wild card when you get into the really, really old buildings. So I know, I know, you know, George also is, you know, big into the, he's, he's a general contractor and has the construction company. I'm sure that helped a lot with the the due diligence as well, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that you're, you're supposed to scope soon. Like when we're doing the smaller mm-hmm. medium, I didn't know, you know, scoping lines was a, was a thing, you know, when I yep. did the, the smaller apartments, but that is definitely important on every, every purchase yep. you make, especially like you, you mentioned some of the, the older ones to really get yeah. in there and, and scope the lines. On a couple of our early purchases, we did not scope lines and uh, we have had to replace, you know, lines before, you know, and, and it's about a $30,000 bill because you got to bring the backhoe, backhoe in and dig it up and place the line. You got to fill it back in and redo all the landscaping. And yeah, when, when all said and done, it's it's worth a couple hundred bucks to get the plumber out there just to scope the line. And that way you can at least plan for it and, you know, potentially, uh, do a retrade if you have to, but uh, yeah. So but yeah, with the older properties, like I say, plumbing seems to be the biggest wild card that we've seen, and we don't have any fifties vintage. We have 
30s, 40s, and 60s, but uh, we, we skipped over the 50s generation. But uh, you, you had nailed it on the. I just had a. We had a sewer line mm-hmm. uh, bust right before I saw one of the joint ventures. So I exited mm-hmm. on one of those joint ventures, and we we had one, and it was a thirty-three thousand dollar bill. Yep, it was like right there. Yeah, that's that's ballpark ballpark where it's at, you know. So yeah, not not something that uh, that you want to. It's it's something that's like I said, worth a couple hundred bucks to pay a plumber to scope the lines, so you you know it's coming down the pipe. You know, <laughs> funny pun intended, I guess. Um, no, it's coming down the pipe. <laughs> All right. Um, but anyway, um, that said, uh, love it, love the idea, and something else that I, I'll point out that I think people don't realize is you guys. You talked about the exterior first. It sounds like uh, you have kind of an outside inner approach, which. I'm a huge fan of, I think up front, you know, when I was, when I started the business, I was looking at interiors first and then exteriors, if we have money left over, but I think the right way to do things is, is the opposite. You know, you put the playground in, you make the pool look nice, you invest in landscaping and trim work and, and whatnot, and you make the place look nicer and then you can attract a higher quality tenant. that's the first thing they see. But uh, anyway, that said, what's next for you? Yeah, so I, I briefly skimmed on it. Um, we have a couple of deals under contract right now. A couple of them are fully subscribed. We are still raising. Uh, we're about to launch the one in Laporte, Texas, A-class deal. Just over 300 units there. So that is, that's an asset class that we're looking more and more at, too, is, is the A-class. When we can buy from the developer. If, if we're in the next position yeah. after the developer and we can continue the lease-up process, um, you know, where four or five years ago, you asked me, I probably would have told you, I'll never do an A-class deal. Mm-hmm. Now, only value add apartment complexes, but that's that's an asset class that we're looking at. Obviously, Elevate's based in Dallas, but we're looking more and more at other markets, Nashville, some stuff in the Midwest, like Cincy, Louisville, Lexington. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we brought this asset manager on full-time and really have grown our team, also realize the, the value and, and, and having other partners. Um, so partners might bring us a deal or like I mentioned before, bring in capital. We're, we're able to get uh, get more deals in different states. So really open on uh, high growth markets. Um, yeah. Really looking at 150 units to 1,000 units, um, C plus to A plus uh, assets. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think the the economy's changed. the The nature of the game has changed slightly in the last couple of years, where you know a lot of C class, you know, value add investors are doing the same thing. You know, same same pivot. You know, there's there's uh, been a compression between you know the the spread or the gap between what A class cap rates are and C class cap rates have narrowed to where you can almost make the same returns with A class without the C class problems. You know, but. Uh, it's so one thing I've noticed is if you buy C-class properties, you have C-class problems, you know, and uh, that involves a lot of sewers and a lot of tenant issues. But uh, anyway, that said, we're going to shift gears a little bit and bring Morgan on. So Morgan, welcome to the show today. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, no problem. Glad to finally get you on. Your your work schedules, uh, I understand very much. Um, you're a first lieutenant in the Army, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, that is correct. Yep. And I, I've been a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps before, and I know that you don't own your time. So thanks very much for taking the time to, uh, to come on the show today. Thank you once again for having me. Super excited to be here. Awesome. So let's let's talk about you. Tell us about yourself. 
Okay. Um, so I was actually born in Greenwood, South Carolina. So I know mm-hmm. a little bit about South Carolina. Um, yeah. I mentioned Columbia. So yeah. that's very exciting. Um, but I grew up here in Stockbridge, Georgia, played basketball with Jordan my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually was able to receive a full ride to North Carolina Central University. So I went to school out there. Mm-hmm. Um, got both my match, my bachelor's and master's mm-hmm. um, from there. And when I graduated, I said, okay, well, what's next? Started reading a lot of books. And of course, Rich Dad mm-hmm. Poros yep. um, talks about real estate. And from there, I knew that was definitely something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, seeing my parents, they owned several properties. Our job was to go in and actually clean the properties and mm-hmm. we would get paid for it. So kind of seeing it from the residential side through my reading, learning a lot more about multifamily. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that's where I wanted to start as opposed to starting with single family homes. And so I joined a mentorship program and met my team there, Orchard for Generations Capital Partners. And we're actively working to get our first deal. Nice, nice. And I, I would say, Brian, I think she's smarter than both of us because she's skipping single family and going straight to multifamily. So um, good good for you. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I, I love I love how, you know, up front you were working on properties from the, the cleaning aspect. And, you know, I, I've got my kids occasionally doing age appropriate activities to help me run the business. You know, my I've got an 11 year old that does a lot of uh um, VA type activities for me. So it's, it's fun to, fun to get the kids involved and fun to hear that you were involved in similar stuff as a kid yourself. So anyway, that, uh, that said, what's, what's your big motivation? What's your big burning why for this? I would definitely say, uh, like most financial freedom, location, freedom, just being able to do what you want when you want. Um, but even to touch on more of my family, I have a younger sister, uh, love her to death and just want mm-hmm. to be a role model for her. I have yeah. two other siblings as well, but just being that person in my family to change the course of where we're going. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to travel with them and, you know, do those type of things. Nice. Nice. Very, very nice. I think a lot of people have similar, it, for most people on the show, I think it's, it's about family, you know, one way or another, it's always about family and, and, you know, taking care of the people that you love the most. But uh, anyway, thanks for sharing that and your experience. And also thank you very much for your, your military service from, from one vet to another. Thank you very much. So that part of my life's over and, you know, happy to, happy to have good people like you carrying the torch for a little bit. But uh, anyway, that said, you know, Morgan, we got Brian on the line. What do you want to ask him? Hi, Brian. Um, thanks again for being here. Just sharing your expertise. You guys kind of touched on it a little bit, but one of my questions is in terms of the market right now and the economy, uh, what are some of those adjustments or, you know, um, things that you're going about to change the way that you're looking at the properties that you're going after now? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, thank you for your service. Uh, definitely appreciate that. Um, yeah, so the economy is definitely something you want to have a pulse on, you know, especially now, you know, as you know, we are looking at a possible recession. Um, we also have interest rates being high. So I think it's really important to dial in on your underwriting and your underwriting assumption. So, you know, we can see how property is performing right now, but, you know, the, the real uh, outlook is, is, is how we expect it to perf- continue to perform and how we expect it to perform 
through the life of our hold. So, you know, typically we're, we're projecting five-year holds. So, you know, making sure we're being conservative and rent pumps, you know, rents may or may not increase the same trajectory they have the past five years as they will the next five years, you know, if we do have a recession. I personally think if we have a recession, it, it'll be a lot more mild than some of the headlines are saying. I think it'll be maybe a shorter six to 12 month um, cool down. Um, but, you know, at the same token, that, that can definitely affect your returns if, if depending on how you're underwriting and when you plan on exiting. But I think it's important to make sure you're underwriting for higher cap rates. So when you're modeling it out, when you're going in and you're looking at your your underwriting model, make sure that your cap rate when you're selling is higher than when you are buying. So depending on your market, you know, a point and a half higher than than what you're buying at. As to be careful with saying a blanket statement. You know, I, I would say that's a pretty good general rule of thumb. I would get with someone that's actively doing deals and kind of look at their underwriting. Maybe look at, you know, there's a lot of offerings out there. So you could look, dial in on some of those underwriting assumptions and see how other people are underwriting their deals right now. So, you know, we're, we're accounting for higher insurance and higher taxes, higher cap rates, and then just being conservative with those, those rent growths. Yeah. It's, I think the, the biggest, biggest thing is, I mean, the insurance cost, like, like Brian said, are things that are a lot higher taxes across the nation and in some states in particular, I know you're in Texas a lot, but Texas taxes I hear of, you know, gone up significantly over the last couple of years, but there, there's a lot of higher expense line items and then the future is not going to be as rosy as it has been the last five years, you know? So I think really you just have to be very careful and stick to the fundamentals, you know, going in, you know, what's fundamentally going to make, you know, this property worth more in three to five years. And the other thing is, you know, debt is, is a really big issue right now. I mean, as, as the date of recording, you know, just three, four days ago, the Fed brought interest rates up by, you know, 75 basis points. You know, so your your debt's going to be higher than normal. So really, it's just a, right now. I think you just have to be extremely careful on on what you're doing. But on the flip side, I think if you're syndicating, especially if you're syndicating, you need to start broadcasting the narrative of it's a different market and higher, you know, mid to upper teens as far as IRRs are not necessarily going to be the rule in the next couple of years. You know, I think right now the the key words are going to be, you know, capital preservation instead of growth. You know, we, we, we can give you a hedge. We can, we can help you preserve some of your capital and take some of your capital out of, you know, the stock market that has lost about 25% of its value in the first six months of the year. So I, I think that's really part of it too. be more careful on the deals you get in and be honest with your investors and what the expectations should be and paint that picture for them. That's great. That's great. Um, so my next question is, what are some of the things that you know now that you wish you would have, it would have been brought up a lot more in the beginning that kind of might, you know, it's really important that you might've passed over. It wasn't brought up as much in the beginning. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it was probably going lar- like going larger with the larger deals. I think for me personally, you know, I was kind of stuck in the small, medium side. I didn't think I was stuck, you know, necessarily, but just being open to some of these larger deals uh, early on, knowing that I could team up, knowing that 
you know, it's okay to give up a size of the, the pie. You know, I, I was a hundred percent of the GP for the couple hundred, couple hundreds of units. But now, you know, a smaller percentage of the GP, but we're looking at thousands and thousands of doors. So I think, and at the same token, you can kind of hone in on what you like about doing, you know, you, you talk about doing what you want with who you want, when you want, you know, I think, you know, especially on the, the capital raising side, you can pretty much be anywhere. I mean, even with the acquisition side, you know, you, you can fly around the country looking at different deals and talking to brokers. So I think it, the, the scalability really lets you be more flexible with your terms. So I think for me, it's probably, you know, going bigger sooner would probably be something that I would have thought of earlier. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say the same thing from a little dire- a different direction is going bigger sooner. Um, we spent a lot of time in tertiary markets, you know, and I, I was listening to a, a book that, uh, you know, the former president Trump wrote, you know, back in the, I think late eighties, early nineties. And he made a point that if you buy the best, the best building in the best block in the best neighborhood in the best cities, you're always going to be able to sell. You know, you're always, there's always going to be competition and it's always healthy. We took the opposite approach. I mean, trying to make a name for ourselves. I think there's, there's a good reason to jump into tertiary markets when you're trying to get your first deal because there's not a lot of competition. I would, you know, if I, if I were to go back and look at our acquisitions, I would have jumped into the, you know, the secondary and primary markets a lot faster, you know, instead of staying in, and I mean, you're from Greenwood. So, you know, some of the towns that we're in, we're, we're in Pickens, we're in central South Carolina, we're in Spartanburg, you know, we got one in Columbia too, and in, in Augusta, but, you know, Augusta is the largest metro we have a property in, and it's uh, actually Columbia is bigger than Augusta. Sorry. So Columbia is the biggest metro we have a property in, and Columbia is about 800,000. So, I think I would have flipped and gone towards the larger metros earlier because, you know, later on when you're trying to sell them, there, there's going to be a lot more buyers lined up for that. Yeah. It's like taking a plane off, you know, you get in the, the wind behind it. It's a lot easier to take off, you know, with the wind behind you when you're in those, yeah. those larger deals and larger markets. Yep. Yeah. It's, they, they are easier to sell. And that's, that's the thing we're looking at right now as we're trying to sell a lot of our portfolio you know, had, had we been in Atlanta instead of Pickens, you know, we probably have multiple offers on a property and, you know, it's, you, you got to look at the exit as well. And that's something I think that we didn't do as well as we could have was assuming that, uh, you know, we'd be able to exit as easy as we were to buy. So. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And my final question is what is a mistake that you learned from? I think, you know, we can learn a lot from our mistakes and, you guys are leading the way in terms of that can help us and help me and my team uh, get better to kind of navigate some of those things. Yeah. So I guess one of my early mistakes was I actually over renovated one of my uh, smaller deals, you know, so I put it, I, I, the parking lot needed to be redone and I've got like six inch graded concrete. You know, I brought the nicest product out there that you could put in there. I spent like 30 or $50,000 on a, mm-hmm. on a 400 to $500,000 apartment complex, just because I knew in my mind, I was the parking lot's going to last a long time, you know, but mm-hmm. when I did that, I, I ran out of some of the money that I wanted to spend on more of the interiors and the exteriors. So something I didn't do, you know, you know, part of what 
makes you successful though is it's taking action and just doing things. But sometimes you want to consult with people that are in the space and maybe your partner. So something I didn't do was ask the property management company, Hey, here's my budget for, you know, what I plan on doing with this apartment. What do you think will get the highest and best use of this? So I definitely could have consulted with a property management company and they may have said, you know, let's just go with some, you know, uh, a different type of parking lot. We can just put it, you know, just repave it and, and restripe it and we'll have more money for interiors. You know, you're getting a lot better. You'll probably get higher rents if you put your money in this part of uh, the property. So the, the one thing I wish I would have done there is, is consult with the property management company and, you know, and at that maybe consult with a couple of different property management companies to get different opinions on that. Yeah, I like it. And we, we've made similar mistakes on on a couple of things. But I'll, I'll just add is uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes I had was assuming that the asset management part would be easy. You know, um, you know, a lot of coaching programs. I was in a coaching program. You know, my my partners, a couple of my partners were in coaching programs as well. And most of the coaching programs focus on acquisitions and getting that first deal and getting to the finish line. But uh you know, I just made the assumption that the uh, the asset management on the back end was was going to be easy. Otherwise, you know, more people would focus on it. You know, but there, there, there's not a lot out there on it, and it ended up being a little more difficult than um, than I imagined. Um, and I found out that asset management is something that I'm not necessarily good at. So, what took me a while to do is is figure out that you know I'm, I'm going you know the Brian Wagers route where. I'm raising capital for other people. I'm finding people that are good at that and being able to bring money to other people right now. And anyway, that was probably one of the biggest mistakes I made was just assuming that we'd be able to figure it out. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, just because you have property management doesn't mean it's completely hands-off. You definitely want to make sure you're reviewing their reports and reviewing what they're sending you and making sure you're, you're... at managing them, managing yeah. the managers. Yeah. And we, we've had poor luck with property managers. And once again, this is kind of the nature of these tertiary markets where, um, you know, our managers weren't managing it well. And, uh, you know, part of, you know, looking back at it in hindsight's 2020, you know, part of the reason we've had a hard devil of a time getting good property managers is because, We've got a lot of properties that are out in the sticks, you know, and overall, they're going to perform well. Overall, they're going to give, you know, really solid returns to our investors. Um, But they ended up being headaches for us while we were managing it. But uh, anyway, that said, we are about out of time. So one question for each of you to wrap things up. Brian, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, uh, I'm on social media, pretty active on social media. So LinkedIn. Instagram, Facebook, just my name, Brian Wagers. Or if you have any questions, you can shoot me an email, brian at elevatecig.com. All right. And we'll make sure that information hits the show notes for anybody who's interested. Just check out those show notes. And Morgan, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Uh, yeah, so you can find uh, my team on Instagram at Fortune, the number four generations, and also on LinkedIn at FFG Capital Partners. And we'll be happy and uh, willing to answer any questions you guys have. Also, we'll be reaching out to a lot of you guys as well. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks to both of you for being on the show today. I very much appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking again soon. 
Thank you, Brian. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.